Violinist Daniel Hope has toured the world as a virtuoso soloist for over 30 years. Celebrated for his musical versatility, as well as his dedication to humanitarian causes, Mr. Hope won the 2015 European Cultural Prize for Music, and solos with so many of the world's major orchestras, as well as directing ensembles from the violin. He even has time to serve as music director of the Zurich Chamber Orchestra and the New Century Chamber Orchestra in San Francisco. We're happy to have him on the podcast to discuss his new Deutsche Grammophon recording recording, Schnitka, Works for Violin and Piano. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi there. It's great to be with you. Daniel, you were raised in London and you studied at the Royal Academy of Music and went on to become the youngest ever member of the Beaux-Arts Trio. How old were you at that point and what do you remember about that time? When I joined the Beaux-Arts Trio, I was 27 years old and uh, it was, I would say, a baptism of fire. I was thrown into a huge European tour of about 25 concerts where I had to jump in literally three or four days before hand and the chance to work with Menachem Pressler and Antonio Meneses was an enormous inspiration for me but it was pretty daunting as well being just a young kid at the time and they were very welcoming and extremely friendly and helpful and somehow we made that tour work and from there it kind of just continued they asked me to stay on and from one tour of three weeks I found myself there for almost seven years and it really defined who I am as a musician. work with the best musicians and have played in the world's great halls and most prestigious festivals, from Carnegie to the Concertgebouw, from Salzburg to Schleswig-Holstein, from Aspen to the BBC Proms in Tanglewood, and as an exclusive Deutsche Grammophon artist since 2007, you've recorded over 25 albums under your own name. Is this how you always expected it would turn out, or are you pinching yourself? I would say I'm pinching myself every day because I'm so lucky to do what I do and to be able to connect with musicians around the world to inspire me and give me the chance to express my freedom as a musician. And I'm inspired constantly by my colleagues. And, and that's whether they're young, new artists that I've just heard for the first time or great masters. It's always very special making music. And I think we all have to pinch ourselves, especially nowadays in this pandemic where we're facing a world that we don't recognize anymore and that making music is even more of a privilege. It has always defined my world and my day, but now it's a case of survival, I would say, and uh, using music to do that, I think, makes this time a little bit more bearable. discuss today Schnitke's works for violin and piano and your recording career in a funny way sort of mirror each other because you've recorded traditional repertoire and also are quite interested in contemporary music 
Well, you know, I was very lucky to meet Alfred Schnittke as a young man. I took the very bold decision of going round to his house one evening. I was 18 years old and I just rang on his doorbell. And to my enormous surprise, he let me in and he welcomed me in, I would say, with open arms. And there began a long friendship and a great contact with this extraordinary composer. And that also defined who I am and who I was as a musician. And the chance to work with a living composer, that was for me something very new back then. And so now, 30-some years later, it seemed like a great moment to pay my respects and pay my tribute to this wonderful composer and to revisit some of the memories and the music and the repertoire that arrested my mind back, you know, in the early 90s. This tribute has enormous breadth and energy. And as you point out, Schnitke was a fascinating composer. The Guardian wrote, the real legacy of Schnitke's music is its multidimensional exploration of what musical truth in the 20th century might be, from chaotic polystylism to heartfelt spirituality. That really sums it up. Yes, I think that Schnitke's music has an incredible power and an energy to it. He was a very, very strong and uncompromising figure. He was somebody that really defined his own sound. He used film music because it was his only escape, as most of his works had been banned by the Soviet regime. And he used that film music to develop his polystylism and his way of expressing himself. And from there, he went back into symphonic music. And then the link to the great interpreters that played his works, from Gidon Kramer to Dubinsky to Rostropovich to Rostrzewski, those were giants of musicians that also helped him on this long road and long journey. And the many faces of Alfred Schnitke, I think, is a fascinating subject because his music grabs you for so many different reasons and ways, and yet it's totally unique and totally uncompromising. And there's something rather comforting in that. decided to work with Ukrainian pianist Alexei Batvinov, who is an acclaimed interpreter of Schnitke. I met Alexei thanks to his amazing festival in Odessa in the Ukraine. Odessa, one has to know for any violinist, it's a bit like Mecca because Odessa means the great tradition of Ukrainian-Russian teaching. And that goes back to giants of the violin like David Oistrakh, who studied there, my teacher Zahabron, who studied there, but also the Stoliarsky school. Viktor Stoliarsky was the most famous pedagogue of violin playing, and that's based in Odessa. And so when Alexei Botvinov invited me to go to Odessa, I was like, finally, I get the chance to go there.
there. And when I was there, I fell in love with the place and I fell in love with his playing too. And we realized very quickly we were on the same wavelength and we both loved Schnicker's music. He was famous for his interpretations of it and we just connected immediately through that music. And so it seemed natural with this connection from Odessa to take it one step further and to revisit a composer who was so important for both of us. Schnitka was born in 1934 and he died in 1998. And the program on this album showcases this composer beautifully, embracing very accessible music and also works that are tonally challenging. The album opens with Sweet in the Old Style, five transcriptions of pieces written in the Baroque style. Here Schnitka reworks music from two of his film scores. And as you mentioned, film music gave him a certain freedom to experiment with different idioms and to plant seeds for his concert works. He admitted that with the suite he had fulfilled his wish to completely write naively. What can you tell us he meant by that? I think that Schnitke realized that simple melody has tremendous power. against the stream of consciousness of the 1960s and 70s, which was obsessed with the abstract and the avant-garde. He understood it, he respected it, but he didn't particularly care for it. And therefore he used very simple imagery, great humor, great wit, great sarcasm. And he loved to jump between styles from the Baroque to the Mozartian, to the classical, to his own style, whatever that is. I don't know of any composer that was really as happy fleeting between the worlds as Alfred Schnitke was. And yet it was always done with a kind of a childlike simplicity, or at least it seemed that way. And if one examines some of the music, let's say the Stille Nacht, which is the silent night, a rather macabre silent night version of the famous Christmas Carol, it's deeply unsettling music, but it's done in a very simple manner with very, very basic dissonances, which totally unsettle the entire feeling of where you're supposed to be when you listen to that kind of music. And I think he took great comfort in being deeply unsettling, because it was also a way, in a sense, of almost silent protest against the regime that had banned his music and that had written him off as being persona non grata. of programming the album, the order that it's in, did you begin with Sweet in the Old Style because you wanted to establish the dichotomy of this composer and took it on in order to present more traditional music first? Yes, that's exactly the reason. I wanted to go right into that polystylism of Schnitke, which is his way of looking back through the past and making music of the future out of it. 
And that's something that makes him really unique. He wasn't interested in just regurgitating old forms. He visited them for an effect, and that effect is to create his stylistic expression. And he does that so convincingly, especially in The Sweep for the Old Style, which is a parts of it are used for a film, but other things are really a kind of a look back to the Soviet style of music reception, which was obsessed with Baroque music and the music of the classical period. And then at the very end of this piece, he throws in this dissonance just to remind everybody who he is and where we actually are right now. And then you move on to the polka and the tango, also two works that are, for the most part, in a traditional style. That's right. And in fact, the tango, I think, is one of the most hauntingly beautiful melodies and pieces that I've ever heard. It was used, amongst other things, in his opera Life of an Idiot, but also in the film Agonia, the Klimov film about Rasputin is an extraordinary 1970s epic drama which was banned by the authorities for several years until it was released and this tango in a madhouse as it's called again deeply unsettling but something so haunting about it and the polka really makes you want to get up and dance but you have to be careful you don't break your legs in the process on from these colorful pieces to the first violin sonata written in 1963 this piece is now among the most frequently performed for violin and piano and I believe this was really the first piece that ignited your spark in Schnitke, is that right? The first violin sonata was the piece that set everything in motion. I heard that piece when I was 15 at a German festival called Schleswig-Holstein where a violinist played it at a class concert and I was mesmerized by the music from the second I heard it. There was something in it which was so arresting and inspiring. That piece is an amazing amalgamation of styles. You have La Cucaracha, the Mexican dance in the last movement, but in Schnitke's very personal version, you have a quotation to Dmitry Sostakovich's piano trio in the third movement. You have Russian folk songs. You have serialist music. You have basically all these styles, and in a virtuoso manner, Schnitke brings them all together and writes wonderfully for the violin. And so that was the piece that really set everything going. It was also the very first piece I ever recorded, in fact, back in 1999 for my debut album for Nimbus Records. I chose that piece, but in the orchestral version. And this is, in a sense, the urtext. This is going back to the real original, just violin and piano. And I think even now it stands as a pinnacle of extraordinary and powerful music.
it's sort of in vogue to program, for instance, Bach and Philip Glass in the same program. That seems to work very well. This album that you've created and this composer almost mirror that idea. Yes, I mean, you know, I love Philip Glass's music, but that juxtaposition with Bach, of course, you're looking at two giants from different centuries. I think the amazing thing about Schnitker is that it's all from him and that it's one man, it's one person, one composer that is fleeting between the centuries. And that, I think, makes him very different to a composer like Philip Glass, but it also makes him very unique in so many different forms. I think unique also because of who he was, somebody that came from Russia, but that never felt himself to be Russian. I mean, he didn't really feel German or Austrian, even though he lived there for a time. He didn't particularly feel Jewish, even though he was Jewish. He then converted to Catholicism. He was a restless soul, I would say. And you feel that in the music. You feel that in every bar of the music. And yet every piece is so different. And that, again, I think is something which I find deeply fascinating. And then after the first violin sonata, you stick with the contemporary and move to the Madrigal and Memoriam, a very haunting piece for solo violin. Yes, the Madrigal for Kagan was something from the late repertoire of Schnitka. I wanted to, on this album, try and span as much as I could. So it's really a 30-year span, I think, from you know the early 60s with the Violin Sonata to the Madrigal, which is kind of mid-90s, just to show the development that he had made. And he himself had been very sick. He'd had a number of strokes by the time he'd written that last piece, and he'd had near-death experiences, and I think that affected him deeply. And I often feel with these kind of pieces, like the Madrigal, that he is in a different world. He's kind of almost departed. He has one foot on the earth and the other foot is somewhere else. And also that is Alfred Schnitke. And I thought it was important to pay tribute to that sound world. And then back to a traditional style with Gradulations Rondo. A short work in honor of Dubinsky. great violinist, Dubinsky, the first violinist of the Borodin Quartet, somebody that emigrated to the United States. He was a prolific teacher in Bloomington, Indiana, a place where I also spent a lot of time as a member of the Beaux-Arts Trio, studying with Menachem Presla, so the connection there to Dubinsky. And a beautiful pastiche piece that harks back to Mozart. But again, Mozart seen through different contact lenses, I would say, and sometimes fun, sometimes comforting, and sometimes, again, deeply disturbing. You always have to be on your toes with Schnitke, and you have to have your wits sharpened at every turn of the phrase. Schnitke had a wicked sense of humor and was quite rebellious. The closing track, Silent Night, written in 1978, this detuned, spiky arrangement of this Christmas favorite, sort of a wink to the Soviet regime. Very much so. And, you know, there's a famous version of Silent Night by Simon Garfunkel where they blend in elements from the evening news and they do so underneath that 
famous melody that everybody knows. And that is also very arresting and very unsettling. But there's something I find about Schnicker's version which takes it even further. It's like something that's childlike and almost perfect and that you've broken it and it's a lost innocence you know we all grow up with songs that we relate to and whether they're christmas carols or they're songs that our mother sings for us and we feel that the world is okay and that everything's going to be okay when we hear them and if you distort them like some of these musicians do then it has an effect upon you and whether that's sardonic or sarcastic or ironic really remains to be seen it depends on how you feel but I have to say, listening to this music and playing it, especially now during this very strange time where we are all questioning how we exist and how the world is going to continue, it's given me yet another fresh perspective in terms of Alfred Schnecker, who is constantly inventing himself and reinventing himself. Now, can you tell the story about shortly after you met Schnitka? Was it that you were invited to appear on a television show in Munich and the fellow guest was a KGB officer? That's correct. I was invited as a guest to perform on a television show in Germany, and this was the early 90s. And for some reason, I don't, I can't really remember why, one of the other guests was a former KGB apparatchnik and pretty high up in the KGB. And as things would happen, we were both on the same car ride to the airport the next day, which was 40 minutes from the center of Munich to the airport. And there I was sitting next to a former KGB officer. And I thought, this is certainly the first and last time I'll ever get get the chance to spend 40 minutes in a car with a KGB officer and he can't escape. I have the chance to talk to him. I can ask him questions. And so I literally bombarded him with questions about music. And I talked to him about Shostakovich, about Rostropovich, about Solzhenitsyn, about all the people that I had been fascinated by and including Alfred Schnitke. And I will never forget Firstly, he was not very comfortable because he didn't want to be questioned. I think that was his role. And then by a young teenager, you know, from the West, his disdain was visible. We got onto Schnitke and he sneered at me and he said, young man, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. The people you've talked about, i.e. Shostakovich, Prokofiev, those are Soviet heroes, he said. Alfred Schnitke is nothing but a punk. And I thought that was such an extraordinary comment. It was meant as an insult. I thought it was actually rather comforting because it meant that, at least in my opinion, that Schnicker had got to them to such an extent, I think he really got their backs up. And the punk will never die. And it never did as far as Schnicker was concerned. So just to close, two questions. How's your writing career going and your uh, radio career going? Well, my writing career, I have to say, is taking a bit of a pause. After four books, I've decided <laughs> it's time to take a real sabbatical on that and get back to playing the violin apart from anything else. But the radio career is something that runs parallel. I'm really lucky to present every Sunday a two-hour radio show for the WDR German network, the classical music network here. It's one of the biggest stations in Germany. And I've now been doing it for five years. It's my fifth year. Every single Sunday, I'm able to put together this program, which is two hours 
talking and playing music. It's 50 shows a year and it's such a pleasure to do it and to really get into a theme. Every Sunday there's a theme and whatever that theme might be, it could be anything, I'm able to select the music and to play it. So that's something that's gone on. And since the pandemic started, you know, I've launched this series of television house concerts called Hope at Home. We did 120 episodes last year and we broadcast in fantastic sound and visual quality around the world and offer the idea of chamber music at home. And this has now turned into a new series which we just started at the beginning of this year called Europe at Home, where we are featuring 27 European states on 27 evenings. And each evening we have young artists coming from that particular country and we play music from that country, re-examining the idea of Europe and what it stands for. So I would say that the broadcasting career has really become extremely important and it's a great part of what I'm you know, able to do. But it's all in the service of music. I remain, as always, totally fixated and infected by music. And that's something that I'm really happy with being. It's your Glenn Gould phase. <laughs> Well, uh, could be worse things. <laughs> I, I adore Glenn Gould. Uh, the only thing is I wouldn't want to give up live performance like he did. As much as I love recording, and I really do love recording, there's something about the live element which I just personally need. I love it, and I do miss it terribly at these times. I look forward to the time where we can get back into concert halls and, and bring the live experience to people who also need it and want to experience it. Daniel Hope, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast to let us catch up as well as discuss your new DG recording, Schnitka, Works for Violin and Piano. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.